Welcome, everybody, to the Chinchilla Pickin' Podcast. It is March the 9th, 2023, at 7.11 p.m. As always, we hope to be entertaining, educational, and uplifting, because we want everyone to make money. My name is David Underwood, and I am joined by Brandon Beaver. Brandon, how are you? You know what this episode marks, Dave? You know what it marks? No idea. Dave, you forgot our special day. Oh, is it anniversary? Two years? Oh man, we've been doing this for two years. It feels like twenty. <laughs> when are when are you gonna marry me? <laughs> you know, Brandon. You know, we gotta take it slow, bro. This is going too fast for me. I already need us to step back. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, two years. Wow, I'm ancient. <laughs> That just flew by. It goes by. The older you get, the faster time goes. It's yes. Fun. Yes, it does. And I can't believe we've been doing this. Man. And I, I have to say, everybody, the people who have been listening to us uh, from the beginning or near the beginning have said that we have improved tremendously night overnight. That, like, if someone who just started listening to us recently yeah, it's like heard some of our funny. first episodes, they would be like, no, I'm as, not listening to those guys. As I cough right into my mic. <laughs> right yeah we're actually better people really listen listen to us we're actually better than what we used to be <laughs> oh man that's funny and we were, and we were great before <laughs> yeah i mean i thought we were bad i mean but we had no idea what we were doing neither of us had any podcast experience neither of us had really any kind of speaking experience or or nothing we had no idea what we were doing as far as trying to put together a podcast or social media or speaking or anything like that. I mean, we know, we know financial markets, we know stocks and investing. That's what we know. We didn't know anything else. And so we kind of fumbled our way through. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, I'm, a, I'm a big podcast fan. I listen to a lot about podcasts like business wars and such. And, and I grew up on AM radio. So I've, I've had all those, you know, influences in my life, but uh, no experience. Yeah. Right. So yeah, if you if you're listening to us, thank you. We appreciate every listener. We really do. We enjoy doing this. We do this for free of our own time. We're very busy guys. Uh, but we we love taking the time to do this. We we would do it if only two people listened. Um, but uh, you know, we're happy with all the, all of you who are listening. I will say this. Um, this is the last time I'm gonna plug this. It's probably not gonna be the last time I plug this just because I, I enjoy it so much, but uh uh, as you guys know, I'm on my weight loss journey here, uh, and uh, I've been on F45 training since uh, beginning of the year. And at Christmas, I weighed 315 pounds. That's what I weighed at Christmas. As of this morning, I weigh 278 pounds. That's wow. 37 pounds I've lost so far, and uh, I'm continuing. So hopefully uh, this is going to continue. Uh, my goal is by October to be around 230 uh, so hopefully we can make that happen, man. I'm pushing hard. F45 training, guys. I love it. If you uh, want to work out and you're in the Cincinnati area, come join me at F45 training in Liberty Center. I actually do not get any money for promoting it. I don't know why I keep promoting it. <laughs> I just, I enjoy it. <laughs> um, all right, guys. Uh, good show for us uh, tonight. Uh, we got a good amount to cover. There's a lot of things we could have covered, but I think are, some of them were too political. And so I'm going to stay away from it. Um, uh, but, uh, they do affect the financial and stock markets. So it, it's, it's kind of like, you know, do you talk about it? Do you not talk about it? Cause we like our podcast to be focused on financial investments, how to make money, what to buy, what to sell, what are we looking at? 
how what do what does this even mean to me you know we like to answer those kind of questions and so it's it's very hard to navigate that and not get political because it does have a big part to play in it uh so we we do our best and we hope we we navigate that and try to stay apolitical as possible uh, but uh rules 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 Brandon and I get together five to ten minutes before the show, and we tell each other what we're going to talk about. You hear the live discussion here on the show. Brandon, you have it up first, man. Go ahead. All right. So big news today. Uh, Weekly jobs report came out. Uh, U.S. unemployment benefits jumped by more than 10% last week. So quite the jump there. And and these weekly numbers, they're quite volatile. So really, we're really more going to be focused on the monthly jobs report, which is released on Friday. But that's still a huge number, man. Ten percent—that's a big jump in one week. Now they say that job openings still outnumber uh, job seekers, but uh, yeah, big jump there. And, and it also—you know—you you also have to wonder how many of those people are going to have to take pay cuts with the new jobs that they get. That's true. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, and this is what we've been saying now for months: is that these. These these jobs people are taking are like the restaurant jobs, and people are finally uh, giving up on on their dream of jumping right into the CEO level and accepting that you know I, you know I may have to be a waiter for a little bit, and uh, I I believe that is what's happening. Uh, you've mentioned before, in contrast to that, that it's the gig economy that's keeping people away from these jobs. Yeah. Uh, and, and there's there's truth to that as well. So I mean, there there's kind of a overall outlook as far as what why do we still have more job openings than job seekers and you know do people just like don't claim their work and they're trying to freelance and they don't claim it on venmo or zelle they're trying to work around that and and do those type of things it's there's a lot of ways that uh, people are trying to work around actually being quote-unquote employed nowadays yeah, so the fear in the market today was two-sided, and, and it almost seems like there's no bull case to be made because, you know, 10% jump in in um, in unemployment claims last week shows that there's a potential that we might not be heading to a soft landing here, and a recession could be just on the horizon. Meanwhile, on the other side of this, still saying that uh, job openings outnumber employee or uh, job seekers and wage growth still um, still remains intact at the moment. It has not increased with inflation, by the way. So, I mean, people often say that inflation is being caused by wage growth. This is not the case because wage growth is not equal to or above inflation. You're still losing purchasing power with inflation right now, even with the wage growth that's been had. It's been subpar. But um, with that being said, flip side of this, so either we're facing a recession or or we still have the 3.4% unemployment and uh and uh you know costs are still high we still have the inflation and stuff like that so either either we got a recession coming or the fed's going to continue to hike and and increase interest rates for the foreseeable future longer than we thought they were either way not a bull case for the short term economy go ahead Dave, or for the short-term stock market, I should say. Yeah, and and I agree. And but uh, I think the Fed made it very clear that they even said that they're going to raise their top-line goal number of the interest rate, and they're going even higher with it. And I think they were very, very hawkish 
in their last statements compare in comparison to how they have been. And Powell was saying that we are going to go higher than that 5%, that 5.5% we said, we're going to go even higher. And we need to get back on being a little bit more aggressive with how fast we get there. Yeah. So I, I, I think you're, your case scenario that the Fed's going to continue to raise rates at a, at a fast pace is going to be the case scenario we're going to see. And it is going to push us into a recession because eventually the cost of money is going to be too high that people are just going to stop borrowing and, and, and it's going to have an effect. And when I see that coupled with the uh, household credit card debt still going higher Every month seems like a new historic level for American household credit card debt. I, I and I, I see these interest rates going higher, so that means the money that they're paying on that debt is going up. I, I, I concerned about the recession as well. I see it coming, and it's 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 going to be deeper the longer that it, that this economy holds out and withstands it. It's going to be deeper, I think. Now, there's a guy that says. And he's the CEO of General uh, Electric, um, Larry Culp. Now, if you made a Mount Rushmore of CEOs of the American, uh, you know, workforce, I would put Larry Culp on the Mount Rushmore. Of- I would not. <laughs> okay, so GE, <laughs> GE, the stock now up 30% uh, for the past 12 months. Um, that, that's more than you can say for most stocks. GE Healthcare now up 41.33% since it's spin off on January 4th. Um, and he said that the uh, a recession, it's really the last thing that's on his mind. He's just focused, you know, on growth for his company and, and continuing to turn General Electric around. And he says the corporate cost should fall about six, $600 million this year. And that's about half of what the company recorded in 2021. And when GE Aerospace splits off next year, um, each should have about 150 to 200 million dollars of corporate costs, and uh, the remainder uh, consists of legacy costs, which GE executives said they will locate to the two companies over the course of this year. Let me give you some stats here, just about uh, about this, because I told everybody to buy this last year. So I just I'm gonna pat myself on the back. I'm gonna give you some stats. Go ahead. Well, uh, before you get into stats, man, I want you to explain this to me. Uh, how come one of the headlines I read about GE said that they don't they don't uh, they can't say how many engines they're gonna this is airline engines they're gonna produce next year because they don't they don't know how well their supply chain is gonna hold up. Why did I see that as one of the headlines today from from the GE? It was a concern about engines next year. So so they they see let me let me say this GE did announce today. 2025 GE aerospace aerospace revenue growth uh, will be in the range of low double digits to mid teens. That's that's not bad. Um, and they do forecast an output of the Leap jet engine that it co-produces with Saffron, and this will top 2,000 uh, in 2024. So, um, I mean, that's not really bad. I didn't see the uh, the uh, headline that you saw. I saw that production this year they're going to rise. 1,700 or two to 1,700 from 1,136, which was last year. Um, so I saw actually like a forecast, at least in the leap jet engine. I don't know about the rest of it. I didn't see what you saw there. I'm looking for it. Keep going. But let's, let's look at some stats here on the stock. We had, uh, we had the highest close since February 1st, 2018. Um, 
on pace for the largest percent increase since September 16th, 2020. That was today. Uh, up five of the last six days. Currently up two consecutive. That doesn't matter. Who cares about that? Up 11.6% month to date, 44.5% or 44.59% uh, from January until now. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's just doing, doing really good. The stock's doing really, really good. And it should be because the business here is doing really, really good um, under Larry Culp. They've, re they've really, really turned it around since 2018. Um, I don't think there's an argument that you can make uh, that Larry Culp's not doing a good job here. Uh, as far as General Electric's healthcare company goes, that spun off on January 4th of this year, up 41% uh, since the spinoff. Uh, they are a leader in medical imaging. Uh, millions of GE MRIs, CT, PET, and ultrasound scanners in use around the globe. All sorts of, you know, the articles that I got this from too. And uh, patent, uh, patient care solutions and pharmaceutical diagnostics, about half of GE healthcare sales also come from recurring parts and services. So not only do they sell the product, but they, they service the product after it's actually out there. So it's continuously bringing in revenue for them. Um, GE Healthcare had an operating profit of $2.7 billion in 2022, and they will probably have an operating profit of $2.9 billion this year. So, I mean, they got solid numbers, and I could not find the article. I, I, I'm not going to search forever, like, you know, this whole show, but um, they have solid numbers, and they, they seem like even with just, say, 15, 20% uh, growth in one year, that's great growth for a company that's been around as long as GE. I mean, that's that's like a, I would say, seven, eight-year startup growth. Yeah. So Al Root, yeah. Al Root, he's a writer for DowJones.com. He's pretty pro prolific over there, actually. And, and I really, I enjoy reading his stuff. He's one of the guys I respect. He says, GE Healthcare expects to grow sales at about 3% annually while expanding profit margins to almost 20%. Now, that that's the 3%. That sounds, eh, you know. But the growth and profit equation, if if you match it to the market, this could yield earnings per share of more than six dollars uh, by the decade. That's six dollars per share, and if it trades in line with what the S and P five hundred would be, the average stock would be with those numbers. Shares mid decade would be about one hundred and ten dollars. That's a twenty percent annualized gain. So, twenty percent a year is what you're gonna you're you're thinking you're gonna get if you invest in which GE split spinoff are we talking that, about here? That's G, that's GE Healthcare, and that's even after the forty one percent gain that it's ha had since uh, January fourth. So you're estimating if I invest money in GE Healthcare, I'm going to get twenty percent uh, gain a year off of it, which is better than yeah. I would say ninety nine percent of all mutual funds and four hundred one k's out there that you're going to get. Right. So I mean that that's a that's a solid return. So if anyone asks, like, what well, is there a safer long term investment, David, that we can do that we beat the mutual fund? Well, yeah, there you go. Brandon just gave you one. Um, well, Spy will beat the mutual funds <laughs> on average, well, usually well. And so uh, if, you're, if you're looking for safe and easy, I mean, there's no quarterly reports that you have to research when it comes to Spy. I mean, you can always just. Uh, Safe and easy, you could just short sell UVXY. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true too. But then, but then what if you get what what if something like COVID happens again? Or you know, like you just um, hold you know, through it. You hold through it. But it depends if you okay. So if you short it, that's fine. But if you're doing it with puts, they have expiration dates and that could be yes. yes. If you're doing it with puts, they have expiration dates. But if you're just short and then you know, hey, yeah. just hold it. <laughs> don't, don't buy back yet. <laughs> um all right, so GE, solid, solid stock, man, solid stock. I don't have anything else. 
I mean, that was all I knew about GE, about the numbers today. I didn't really uh, invest in, uh, look into them. They're not on my watch list. Uh, and I have a pretty extensive watch list, but they're not on them. So I don't watch them continuously. I think Jack Welch um, is it would be higher up the Mount Rushmore chain for me than uh, current CEO. He'd be on there. He'd be on there. So is Bob Iger. Yeah, Bob Iger, Carl Icahn. I mean, I can start naming off some good ones here over the years. Lee Iacocca. Uh, th- there you go. I mean, come on. Here you go, man. All right. What do you got next, Brandon? That's all I got. That's really. I yeah. thought you had a whole bunch. I mean, I could go on I, about GE. No, but no, no, we're not going on about GE because I want to talk to you about something here real quick. So I was looking for GE and I actually came across this article here and it just struck out to me. And this really talks about the health of the United States government and how Brandon and I have been on the show. And we've talked about how the government in the past was propping up the uh, economy, uh, not the economy, the stock market with its uh, quantitative easing and how it was buying stock shares and mortgage-backed securities and bonds. And that was one of the things it was doing. So I came across this article here, and it's a very short article. It's just really sending out information. It's from the uh, MT Newswires. It came out 4.39 p.m. today. And uh, I'm just going to read the whole thing because it's so short. It says, The Federal Reserve's total holdings of U.S. securities fell by only... 200 million to 7.948 trillion. The Federal Reserve holds 7.948 trillion of US securities. A uh, little change from the week earlier. So it only fell about 200 million. Uh, the Fed's holdings of US Treasury securities accounted for the entire decline as US mortgage backed security holdings were unchanged from previous week. So the whole decline in US mortgage backed securities. The, all the selling that was there was because the Fed is uh, getting rid of its quantitative easing in, and they are putting those uh, those securities back on the market, which they said they do, but not at the pace which they need to. Um, but hold on, Brandon, there's more. <laughs> but it says the total Federal Reserve assets increased by $2.6 billion to $8.34 trillion. That is ridiculous the federal government has too much of our securities and mortgage-backed securities here and the fact that they're moving the mortgage-backed security market because they're the only ones selling because they have to unwind because they said that we'll get rid of quantitative easing in and we'll let go of some of this stuff off our books which they need to do more of it just shows you a sign of what's uh of how much they have really propped up that market Thoughts on that, Brandon? Thoughts on that little headline yeah, I, I found? Just, I think you should be able to buy a treasury and it beat inflation. I mean, it's really what it's supposed to do. But, you know, with them holding $7 trillion securities and a lot of it being treasury securities, I mean, that's why it's not beating inflation. And I, I think there's an argument to be made, too, that some people are or are, are buying into the, the treasuries, uh, you know, even maybe even retail investors and individuals and, and, and banks and stuff like that, people who aren't government. And maybe, they, maybe they're buying into it because they're afraid of a recession, which would potentially bring inflation crashing down. But other than that, no, I think, I think it's mostly the government holding on to massive amounts of treasury securities that's keeping a lid on these things, because otherwise the 10-year yield should not be uh, 
flat at 4% or just a little bit under it. It just doesn't make any sense. All right. So you were on the right track there. And I want, I want to explain this to, and this is why I brought this article up that I found. I want to explain this to people who are new and listening and they have no idea what we're talking about. Like we're talking Greek to people listening right now. So I want to break this down to layman's terms. So treasury yields, right, guys? So if you take a 30-year bond out from the government, they're going to pay you X amount percentage uh, of yield on it every single year, and that's based off of interest rate. And usually, like Brandon said, historically, it's higher than the inflation rate. So this was a big news back in the early 80s, because I don't know if you guys, uh, if anybody here who's listening is, in the 70s, we had hyperinflation, and it drove inflation very, very high. So in the 80s, we had to raise interest rates very, very high. So in the mid-80s, you had uh, you had uh, uh, yields that were extremely high and very lucrative, especially for pension funds. So if, you, if anyone listening has ever watched the movie The Big Short, this is where The Big Short starts off at, right? In a in a in a scenario where you know yields are good and bond and bond. Uh, Brokers are making a lot of money because yields are very high and it's very easy to make money and it's a great investment. So that is what happened in the 80s. So what Brandon is talking about, the reason why the yields today are not above inflation is because the United States uh, government is buying too many of these yields to push, to make people not want to buy them, but instead buy stocks and to pump up the stock market and to put money into uh, the economy instead of actually buying these bond yields. Now, this was started after the 2008 uh, economy crisis as a way to help our economy get back in order, quantitative easing. Quantitative easing was only meant to be short term. Well, <laughs> We kept doing it as an as a government and economy and as a people because you know if it's a good thing why not do more of it right? Um, so we kept doing it and then finally, the government I'm not going to say when or what I'm just going to say the government finally decided to start backpedaling off this. They started slowing it down. Then they started we finally started to go ahead and release some of these holdings we've been doing. That's what we were meant to have been doing the past few years. That brings us to today. <laughs> So when I read the headline and I say, okay, the only mortgage-backed securities that have been released were $200 million from the federal government, but yet their still overall portfolio went up because, yes, they're releasing those mortgage-backed securities, but they're buying bonds. It, it, it's, it, it goes to show you that we still are not reversing the quantitative easing, and we are still not going back to how the American economy has historically been and how it became so strong over 200 years because we built it a certain way and we're bending and breaking the rules now and we haven't gone back to how it should have been. And that is that is what Brandon and I are talking about. That's about as layman as I can make it, Brandon. Is that pretty accurate? Yeah, and, and people used to look at the treasuries as, you know, stable and 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 they were they were market um, you know, temperature gauges as to how the market is and, and where the stock market should be. And and you know, if if the 2 year, you know, inverted with the 10 year or inverted with the 5 year, you know, we got a recession coming on. There were just different ways that you could look at the bond market to decipher what people really thought about the uh, overall economy and where we were going. But now all of this buying and selling of treasury securities by the Federal Reserve has actually made 
the treasuries just as speculative, if not more speculative than the actual stock market. Right. Um, so like all of our, our you know, our, our kind of like our, what we used to use as tools to decipher where we thought the stock market should be. Those tools are broken right now. And it makes it confusing for us. And that's why in the past few shows, I said, look, I everything I'm seeing points to this, but we're not seeing that. And sometimes I just been a few weeks early or, you know, or a couple of weeks late. And, you know, that's typically what has been. But, you know, it's it's very confusing for those of us that have been investing for over 10 years and be, before the uh, 2008 bubble and before all this happening that we were, were we learned a certain way. And now it's not that way. Yeah. Now it's it's different and it's it's very confusing. But yeah, I just found that article very interesting. And, it, you know, it's it's good to cover that with new investors and let them learn a little bit how this economy works and why is it important to know this stuff? Why is it important to know what the, the U.S. Treasury is investing in? Because it's going to affect if you if you hold bonds, it's going to affect that. If you hold sec, uh, mortgage backed securities, it's going to affect that. It's yeah. going to affect all these things, man. And, and then two. Theoretically speaking, the two-year treasury should have a lower um, rate. It should have a lower um, yield than the three-year, and the three-year should be lower than the five, and the five-year should be lower than the seven, and the seven should be lower than the 10. It should increase as you go up because inflation increases over time, right? But if you look at the spread on these bond yields, they're all flat or inverted and dipped, and it's just it's crazy. <laughs> it is crazy, man. It's craziness. It's raining cats and dogs, people everywhere. <laughs> oh, man. So what I wanted to talk about, um, we'll go into, uh, we're going to go into this uh, uh, chip article I was reading about and I was telling Brandon about, it. I'm just giving him a heads up what we're going to talk about here. So this whole chatbot thing, we covered NVIDIA and how NVIDIA was like uh, making money off of this new chip that they came out with. NVIDIA has this very, very expensive chip, but it's very, very important for this AI and these chatbots and all this new type of uh, development engineering and how we use AI to discover things. And AI can run programs at immense speeds overnight, never takes uh, sleep or rest. That way us humans don't have to do it. There's there's all kinds of ways we use AI. Um and NVIDIA chips are a big driver behind it, but they're very expensive. We, I'm not going to cover the numbers. We broke them down on the previous show. Please check out the previous show if you want to hear the numbers. However, it's very expensive. And so Meta, and this is a, an article that I found here. It was on uh, Top News. It's actually a Reuters article. Uh, and it, it, the headline says, Grok adapts i hope i'm pronouncing that right i'm probably not grok adapts meta's chatbot for its own chips in race against nvidia so grok what it is it's a silicon valley chip startup it's been founded by some engineers from some of the big companies such as alphabet and so on and so forth what they're doing is they're taking uh meta's chatbot ai that uh meta is using and they're they're creating their own chip that can compete with nvidia and that way that there's competition out there. Because currently, right now, NVIDIA um, has a market share of nearly 90% for all AI computing. Um, and that's a, a, a harsh estimate. We don't know for sure, but it's about 90% market share. That's ridiculous for any company in a, in one in one little sector there. But 
Grok's trying to compete with him, and apparently it's been working with Meta's uh, chatbot AI. So this is a direct competition to NVIDIA. Now, my question, Brandon, for you, and I want to hear what you have to say on this, is with companies like Grok and others trying to compete with NVIDIA, coming out with these chips, and they actually start to work, is the pace of innovation so fast and so furious here that that nvidia has to has to either start buying up these companies before they get headlines and make big news or 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 it, can nvidia keep pace with them or does nvidia even need to keep pace with them because nvidia is the staple that we trust i think it does become a little bit of a winner take all for the short term to medium term i think we could they could all live together but i don't think it's going to be very harmonious in in the short to medium term but i will tell you as long as I'm going to throw you a little bit of a curveball here, as oh. long as the China situation simmers or at least does not increase, the winner here for all of this is Taiwan semiconductors. Really? Yes. Why do you say that? Explain your answer, please. 67% of the world's semiconductors come from them. Um, oh. and, and, and NVIDIA and Apple and Microsoft, all of the big names use Taiwan semiconductors to manufacture their chips. Gotcha. Gotcha. And NVIDIA. NVIDIA does it too. Yeah. NVIDIA uses them as well. So, I mean, so your play is just Taiwan semiconductors, but the problem with that is the geopolitical events going on in Taiwan and and China. And, and that's a, a scary threat that has kept... Taiwan semiconductors from just skyrocketing up in, in price and value is because people are worried that China is going to invade Taiwan. And then all those those plants and everything that happens down there is just going to be gone or taken watch, over. Watch what happens with Taiwan's import of sand from because they get it from China. And if China cuts off sand to Taiwan, this sounds very, very like minuscule, but it's not because they use the sand to manufacture the silicone that goes into the uh, uh, the semiconductors, and and um, Taiwan imports most of its sand from China. And if Taiwan or if China cuts that off, then then Taiwan semiconductors are going to have a problem. But I believe that t- Taiwan semiconductors is actually building a plant here in the United States as well. I don't know when it's supposed to be complete off the top of my head, but that will help them too. Yeah, there's a lot of we've reported on this. Intel's got plants going up in the United States. Nvidia has a plant going up in the United States. AMD has plants going up in the United States. Everybody's building plants in the United States. So, so you know, it's just going to add to we're going to have way more jobs than we have um, uh, people. But to to your point, uh, Taiwan is is the winner here as long as there's no geopolitical military movements over yes. there in in that uh, part of the country, which is something I would watch for. And the captain of the uh, the um, the captain of what do we call what was I just calling the uh, um, the uh, no idea. Mount Rushmore the captain oh. of the Mount Rushmore of investors the captain Warren Buffett he's got Taiwan semiconductors in the portfolio of Berkshire Hathaway. really he's okay there, there you go you know, for them so but he's held it for a while um I will say that the the current administration is trying to pass a uh, uh 
a budget plan. And uh, the only reason I'm bringing this up again, I like to avoid political discussions, but in it, they do have a, a lot of funding that is uh, going to be direct competition for China out in the Pacific Ocean in partnering with those smaller countries that China's offered. Hey, we'll help you build a bridge and we'll loan you the money. They are planning to compete with that. And that is a uh, interesting that uh, the United States is going that route in a, in kind of competition with China it's it going to increase it's going to increase the hostility i think if something like that passes so that's something to watch um cuz it's going to affect our semiconductors and our chips and availability are we going to be able to if that all that goes through do we have enough chips to build cars do we have enough chips to computers where do you give priority to what gets the priority do we stop put, building cars and now we all of a sudden use car value goes back up in value again because we don't have enough cars out there. Yeah. Do, what do you do? What do you do? What's the priority if, if the semiconductor gets low? That's something to think about. I'm not worried about it right now, but that's something to think about if, if those things happen. Um, and then, all right. So, of course, just overall inflation it would not help the case at all. No, not at all. So, Groke, um, I don't believe they're going to be uh, uh, make a huge dent in NVIDIA this year. Um, I don't believe they they have the capability to scale up to how NVIDIA is scaling up, but it's interesting that, that they are partnering with Meta, a big name company, and uh, they're able to provide um, the services that uh, Meta can actually use. So that's very interesting to me. That means they're they're close, but uh, they don't have the infrastructure to scale up as needed. I do think they'll get bought out. You really? I do. I do. Probably in two years. Within two years. Do you think it's NVIDIA or do you think it's a competitor like AMD or Intel? What if it's Meta? Oh, that way Meta doesn't have to buy chips? Yeah. They I just mean, build their own? Just like that's Apple. Apple. That's what Apple did, yeah. yeah. I mean, that that's a, that's, a, that's a spot there too. I mean, so then you would, Meta looks like a good company to own. Yeah. Who would have thought that? Well, maybe. You might hear me whining about the price they pay for it if it ever happens. That's a good possibility. <laughs> I'm sure you would. I'm sure you, I would expect that from you, man. I would expect that from you. All right, rolling in. I want to cover this one last time. Uh, not one last time. It's a, uh, it's, uh, and I, I don't want to cover it from my get. It's talking about gap in the earnings. I don't want to really cover it from a perspective of, Hey, this is gap. Let's talk about gap, the company. I want to talk about it from a sector standpoint. All right. So gap reported earnings and, it fell well short of Wall Street expectations on the top and bottom line. Um, the company, uh, they cleared out some of their inventories. Um, the inventories uh, were down 21% year over year, but still disappointing fourth quarter results. Stock fell after hours. Um, they, they did not hit any of uh, what they were expected to hit. Their loss per, loss per share was 75 cents per share. That's a loss. They're not even making money. In, in the fourth quarter, the holiday quarter, that's the quarter that all retailers are meant to make money. And it's because they're sitting on more inventory than than what they need to, among other things. So I, I want to I, I talk about this for a second. So last year, I got in a discussion outside of this podcast. I got in a discussion with a gentleman, and I said, you know, they didn't have much Halloween stuff out this year. And I, th- and I said, I think they just didn't order that much because they're so built up on other inventories that most – retailers can't burst through that they cut back on what they were ordering and this gentleman came back and he said no 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 they're just pushing everything up sooner 
and and this is all it is. It's not really the economy's not you know that you know doing that. The retailers aren't that in bad shape. And I said, yeah, I think retailers are in that bad shape, man. And uh, we got in discussion, and you know, it turns out I ended up being right, and he ended up being wrong. And I don't point that out to you know nudge my finger and then a poo poo in his eye. What I what I pointed out is like I have been bearish on retailers now for about nine months, Brandon, and I've just hated the whole sector. Um, and I'm still bearish, and it's because they keep all the fourth quarter numbers I've seen. From any retailer, they have missed expectations for the holiday sales. And some of them, such as Gap, have even had a loss in the fourth quarter. And that's meant to be their profitable quarter. And that's just, that's just awful. They still are saying, I can't get through these inventories. How much longer are you going to get on an earnings call and tell me you can't get through inventories? Is it going to be a year later? At some point, you just got to write that off and throw it away or something. Or give it to a, a Goodwill, give it to homeless shelters, but just write it off and move on. Because you know what, it's just it's just hurting your your top and bottom line numbers, and now they're a year out of style. It, it's just it, I, I'm fed up with these retailers saying that. I'm fed up with these retailers saying that you know it's shrink. It's in it, it now shrinks a real big problem. Walmart cut two stores out of Portland, uh, and the, they say that we just can't operate in there. It's not cost effective. It's not safe. I get that. I, I've talked about shrink on on a previous one. Now maybe. All these complaints, Brandon, from these retail sectors, when I hear on these earning calls, maybe it's not. And I'm just picking on these one items that they come out with, the headlines. And I'll give them this. Maybe it's because all these things are heading at once. And that could be what's driving them. But I think you have a weaker consumer, people buying on credit card debt, and now they want to use that credit card debt more effectively and they experience things. That's why restaurants are seeing the boom, but retailers are not. I think people are spending on experiences and not material items. I don't know. I'm still bearish on the sector. I don't, I'm not buying a single retailer right now, not even Walmart. So I've bought retail before, but I, the only kind of retail that I usually ever buy in stocks is specialty retail. I have absolutely never, ever, ever, ever bought apparel retail ever. Think about how popular the gap was in the nineties and the early two thousands. It was a behemoth. Man. Huge. It, it was huge. And, but, and, and I'm surprised it took so long to get to where it's at right now. Look at how Abercrombie went. Um, Hollister, uh, so many different apparel brands that were for, you know, five, six years had their day in the sun and were so great. But then apparel consumers and people with fashion, it's it's such a fickle industry. What's in style right now will not be in style three or four years from now. Yep. So the, I, I just always stay away from apparel st- stocks like The Gap and stuff like that, no matter what. But... You know, so many people like the guy that you were talking to is probably pointing to gross margins of these companies, but you really need to take a net margin into effect. Net margin is the most important aspect of retail right now, not gross margin. It's net margin because that 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 takes everything into account as far as uh, as cost of labor, uh, overhead, everything goes into net margin. It's not just what you bought the product for and what you sold it for. So. Net margin is it. And when you're looking at many of these retailers, the net margin is negative while the gross profit is, uh, or gross margin is positive. So the gross margin, it's telling you a different story. It doesn't, you, you just push it aside for right now and look at net margin. Gap is, is suffering greatly. And so many retailers are as well. Now, if I was to get into the retail 
market right now, it would be probably Walmart, maybe Costco. Those would be the two that I would look at. Um, you know, the big powerhouse, big box plays, but never apparel. Yeah, no. Apparel is just, it's, they're sinking in inventories right now. The You got Bed Bath & Beyond going to be extinct here any any day now. You have other companies that are on their way out. It's just, it's not a, a good sector to be in. I, now, I go out shopping. Um, I And I, I will say when I go out shopping, I'm going to uh, Nordstrom's or Macy's or Dillard's. I, I, you know, I, I'm not shopping at a Old Navy or a, a Gap, if you will. And it, I just don't like the style. And I don't think anybody else does either, man. You know, or or even I, I will shop at a, at a Dick's if I'm looking for workout gear. Yeah. You know, but that's a specialty. Reason. That's a specialty. specialty. Yeah. And they're doing really well right now. Their stock market's at 52 high, a two week high yesterday. Right. So, so I mean, you either go into a specialty place or, or you're going to a, the, the high end places. I feel will will do well. But I mean, even them are hurting nowadays. Yeah. You know, that's what we talked about last time. You said restoration of hardware. I'm like, eh. I but... still like it. <laughs> there you go, but, man. But my, uh, my, my time frame on that's, that's, that's further out than just now. But, and that makes a difference too. That makes yeah, a big yeah. difference. All right, Brandon, that is all I have, man. Um, I say let's go ahead and move into final thoughts, Brandon. Head it off. Yada yada yada. <laughs> I didn't say that. I didn't say I that. Know. I waited all episode. <laughs> uh, yada yada yada. Final thoughts. <laughs> what do you got, Brandon? Um, just be selective with what you're doing. I think you can buy some stocks right now. I I think you know a lot of them are on uh, have had uh, big increases since January 4th. We're probably going to have some issues here in the coming months when it comes to the Federal Reserve continuously raising interest rates. That's not good for stock markets. But if your time frame is you know five years, ten years out, or maybe even more, then I think you're fine at these levels if you can stomach it. There you go. Um, I'm actually uh, looking for uh, quicker plays. I'm still, as as you guys have seen, if you follow us on Instagram, I have not put a a, a buy up there for Blink, and there's a reason why. I, <laughs> I think that uh, the market's going lower, but I, I am I have my watch list, and I have things on my watch list that I'm watching, and I'm looking for the right time to jump in because I believe if I if you wait until the market is priced in all these Fed interest rates, priced in a jobs report uh, that's going to come out tomorrow. And I believe the jobs report is going to show in February that we lost jobs. Um, um, it, sure. it, maybe we lost jobs, but if not, if we didn't lose jobs, it's going to be a lower number than expected. I believe they're expecting somewhere a little above 200. I think if we did make positive, it was about a hundred thousand then. Um, so that's, right. And that's what I'm one just I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you, but and then if the jobs uh report comes out bad as far as jobs go, then inflation stays elevated. Then what can the Fed even do? Yeah, I mean that's that's something to say, but I mean we gotta see if inflation stays elevated at that point. I if if the if we're losing jobs and the economy starts to slow down, then Inflation should come down as well. I think the the yeah. problem was that uh, the we we were losing jobs in the second and third quarter of last year, but then the fourth quarter there was hiring, there was the holiday, and that that everybody felt confident to go back out. They were being told that the, you know the economy's strong, go out there, spend your money, and they did, and then inflation jumped back up, uh, and so. 
people need to listen. More people need to listen to this podcast and say, if all of America at once just stops buying anything we don't need for one month, inflation will drop like a rock. Yeah. Um, if you were to stop buying what you didn't need and bought GE Healthcare and GE, <laughs> bought, if you would have just bought GE last year when I told you to buy it, instead of you know your five dollar coffees from Starbucks. I like my coffees from Starbucks, man. Um, I like Starbucks too. And, and this is my final thought. Can I get through my final thought, please? <laughs> <Sorry>. Seriously. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't even know where I'm going with this now. My my thought has left my head. There's my ADHD kicking in. Uh, but yeah, look for opportunities, guys. Wait for uh, more of these numbers to come out. I would definitely be waiting. I wouldn't be buying anything tomorrow. Uh, I would definitely be waiting until next week before I would make some big moves or buy in anything at all option-wise. Blink is still on my watch list. I still promise to post on Instagram as soon as I make a move on a Blink option. I will do it, but I have not done it yet. If so, if you're following us on Instagram, you could see for yourself. I haven't done it yet, but go ahead and give us a follow. Give us a like. Hit subscribe everywhere, guys. Everywhere we go. We're on Stockwitz Instagram. We're going to get a Facebook here soon. I don't know why. I don't like Facebook, but we're going to get a Facebook here soon because Brandon owns the company, and that's why. Um, <laughs> we need a Twitter. We, yeah, we do need a Twitter. We don't have a Twitter either. But then I don't want to manage Twitter, man. That's just the simple. I mean, you can. Yeah. I'll get See, it, it right there. See, See, guys, this is how busy we are that, like, <laughs> It's just us two, and neither of us wants the hassle well, of managing a Twitter account. My, my problem is, is that I'll get myself in trouble on Twitter. You know, StockTwits is just obscure enough to where most of our listeners aren't going to be on there watching me, you know, uh, start fights with people. So <laughs> There you go. All right, guys. Um, as always, we hope we've been entertaining, educational, and uplifting because we want everyone to make money. Have a good night. Have a good night.